Welcome to episode 71 of the Gumprunners podcast. Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law here with you tonight uh, following Alabama's 55-3 throbbing of the Vanderbilt Commodores to start off SEC play 1-0. Auburn on the Plains also starts 1-0. A little bit different type of game over there. The uh, the two bottom feeders of the SEC um, battling it out. The Battle of the Tigers over there in Jordan-Hare. And, uh, you know, we, we thought the voodoo was dead last year. It's alive and well over there. We'll definitely get into some of that talk. But um, starting with, with this Vandy game, Lester, uh, first half, you know, it was 31 to three at the half. Saban tried his hardest not to score um, heading into the half. And uh, but you know, Bill O'Brien and Bryce Young said, Screw you. You know, he didn't use any of the timeouts. Lester's you go crazy about that. So, I wanted to start with you. Um, just talk about how frustrated you were at the end of the half. And I know you were texting us, like, he won't score, he's already he's already trying to sit on the ball, blah blah. And then you know, they punt and then we take it down like 40 seconds left and then end up getting the field goal before half to make it 31 to three. Uh-oh, yeah, yeah. My phone's trying to sabotage me. But, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, it's weird. Like, it's weird watching Saban actively try to sabotage his team. Seriously. Every week he's going to take those three timeouts to the to the um, locker room, and if he could help it, he's going to take three home with him. So every week Nick's just counting six timeouts and putting them on his mantle every damn week. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. Good. I mean, hell, get Riker some action in there. I mean, there's nothing wrong with going down and scoring the football. That is a good thing. I wonder if Nick knows it's a good thing. It's a good thing. You should try to do it as often as you can. Um, I like it. Like, get these guys in because, you know, you score there and, you know, you put a bigger cushion in. You know, Vandy has no threat to come back and win or whatever. But you get these young guys in, you know, get Bryce, the driver to in the second half. Go ahead, get those young guys in and start building up, you know, more confidence for them, getting them more things on film so you can critique it. So, you know, that's just more experience as the season goes on for the team. It doesn't hurt. It's literally a good thing. J-Law, speaking of the young guys, Lester just mentioned, man, Jamarian Miller, are we – is there any chance this year that he creeps up into that that number three back role? And that's Roy Dale right now. And I know Roy Dale's not getting 10, 12 touches a game, but you know, he's getting anywhere from four to eight snaps probably per game. I still rather have Jamarian Miller right there. I mean, this dude is running a majority of the time behind a second string offensive line. He's still averaging over seven yards of carry. I mean, Saban's just pulling his hair out. Like I'm I'm surprised that Saban didn't go out on the field and try to tackle him on a couple of his long runs uh, just to, to get him down and not embarrass the, the Vanderbilt's players' families. And, uh, you know, so Jamarian Miller, talk about what you've seen from him through four games and his limited action. And if there's any chance that this guy could, could slide up in that number three role. Yeah, I mean, not just Miller. To me, a lot of the a lot of young guys continue to play for this team. But Miller, Miller's probably the one that you would Miller and I guess Emmanuel Henderson, all those playing wide receiver. Those are the both running backs. You were thinking you're probably not going to see them at all this year, if any, considering you had you brought in Gibbs, you have Jace, Roy Dell, um, even Trey Sanders there. But to see the amount of touches that this guy gets down the stretch in football games, I mean, I know it's 
you know, milk away time. You're not going to throw it because you look like an ass if you throw the ball all over the place. But the guy runs hard, and it's funny that Alabama, they go out. It's a testament to saving. It's a testament to the rest of the coaches. They go out and they get the dude they wanted. There's a lot of backs in last year's class. I know we got the number one back in Emmanuel Henderson, but reading message boards and the insiders, they'll tell you that Jamarian Miller was the back on the board that they wanted. They knew that could come in and play if they needed him to, unlike Emmanuel Henderson, who they liked his speed and his agility and his kind of his quickness and his twitch, but they don't really need that with McQuellen and Gibbs. So just credit to them for for finding him, signing him, when a lot of other schools may have wanted to, to beef up their recruiting rankings. But this is a this is a good player. But a lot of other young guys on the field all over the place, and the only one that I really wanted to see a lot more of didn't get to see because we refuse to play nigh black, I guess. If he could play four snaps, Latu won't block anybody, can barely catch anything. Robbie Utes is still out there. Man, if you're going to run – if you, to me, I just think that's like the weakest link of this team. So the only young guy that I really wanted to see, especially after Saban told us he was going to play more, uh, was not black, and that just didn't happen. Yeah, and that's a guy where – and I sent y'all – when I went back and rewatched the game, I did notice, and I don't really look for stuff like this. I'm not breaking it down like a coach. I'm just trying to get a broad view. Now, we'll look at formations and stuff like that because I'm interested to see, and that's one of my things that I've been going over weekly is how much Bill O'Brien is spreading the offense out and allowing his playmakers to play in space. Um, that's one thing that I've really harped on, and I'll go over some of those numbers in a minute. But when I went, went back and rewatched it, I noticed – some of the downfield blocking and Latu is one that really stood out to me after the ball was caught, the minimal effort that he gives is pathetic. And um, Kendrick law, I think does a, a good job of blocking downfield after the catch. I think Isaiah bond does a good job, but Holden, you get nothing from him. You get nothing from Burton and you get nothing from Latu and the quick screen stuff. I'm sure y'all are harp, harp on this too. When the we use the tight end as the lead blocker, Oots is terrible at it. Latu's terrible at it. So, yeah, I wouldn't mind seeing some uh, some more of eighty four in there. Um, he, he's skinny. He's not going to be a guy that you line up and run power with. Um, but as much as Latu split out in this game, he was very rarely down with the hand in the dirt on a line of scrimmage. He was up a lot. So if you're going to use him in that role, I think Niblack is more suited to play that. Um, especially when you're not using him as a blocker. But Lester, another young guy, Tyler Booker, it seems Alabama's got two offensive guard spots and they got three guys competing. Uh, Booker played right guard. He played left guard, sparing Ikior and Cohen throughout the game. If you're Nick Saban, we love competition. It's great. Don't get me wrong. But we love that in August, right? We love that in camp. That's what camp is for. You mentioned that last week. And that's why I wanted to ask you this question. You've got three ranked teams in a row here. You've got Arkansas on the road. You got to come home and play Texas A&M. And then, you know, who, who just beat Miami and Arkansas. And then you've got to go on the road to play a top 10 Tennessee, who might be ranked close to the top five. I mean, if you have a couple upsets this week, you never know. Or in the, over the next two weeks, you never know. Tennessee could be sitting at five or six. Um, so you, you've got three guys competing for two jobs. At what point do you either pull the trigger on one of them and go with Booker or say, 
you know, we're going with Cohen and Ikior, or do you think this continues, which I don't think it needs to. And I, I, you worry about camaraderie with the offensive line and them being able to jail. I think it's harder to do that when you've got a guy sliding in. I mean, one play, if you're looking at Steen, you've got Cohen, then a couple of plays later you got Booker, then you're back to Cohen. Same thing on the right side and the center uh, with Dalcourt. And the communication has not been great on the road in the past with Dalcourt at center. We know that. So if you don't have the same five every game, does that make it tough on him? And what do you think Alabama should do there? How do you think they should approach this guard situation? Yeah, as the as the game as the season goes on, you know, you want that group to mesh and to gel together. And like I said, it's hard when you're shuffling pieces. I think that, you know, this game against Arkansas, I think that if you want to shuffle them around or whatever, first of all, you should play the best guy. First of all, if that's Booker or if he has the potential to be the best, play him. Play the young guy. Do it. You know, hey, sink or swim. But I think that this week in Arkansas is the last week that you ever shuffle around for the hell of it. Now, if an injury or something happens, you know, that's that's whatever, you know. But this is the last week that tryouts at any of the offensive line positions need to happen. It's either this week and then you move the hell on and cement it from there because this can't continue to go on and then expect that line to be one cohesive unit. Yeah, and I don't think it's a tryout. I think there's legit competition here. But what I was asking you is if you're, you know, Eric Wolford or Nick Saban, and and you said, I don't think that anyone's playing better than the other. I think everybody favors Booker because he's the young guy. And everybody loves the freshman, you know. So I think we'd look at him in a different perspective uh, because, you know, at Alabama – you know, you always hear about freshmen don't play, all this stuff. So this guy's coming in, and he's competing with two guys who started every game for Alabama last year at their respective positions. So I think that says a lot to the fan base, and so naturally they're going to favor him. But personally, I don't think that he's playing better than Cohen or Ikior. and if he is, it's very slight. So if that's the case, Lester, what do you – but not necessarily a tryout. What do you go with if you're a coach? Do you go with your third-year guy and your fifth-year guy, or do you try to run a, a, a freshman out there and but make it permanent, like you said? Booker, go with him. <laughs> I mean, if he's if he's if he's better, like you said, because you know the difference between the other two is that they're just more experienced. They're not necessarily better than him. If Booker's the better guy, I think you roll with him. And you deal with the growing pains, if there are any. You know, I don't expect him to come in, like, jump off sides or, you know, stuff like that. But, you know, another thing, too, it's easier to break someone in, especially a freshman at the guard position. You got two guys beside you, you know, either side that'll not necessarily help, but they're just there. Like, you're not on the island by yourself. So, um, yeah, I, I certainly roll with Booker. I believe that you should – well, like you said, this be the last week that you shuffle Arkansas game. I don't feel comfortable doing that on the road. I wouldn't mind them doing that against Texas A&M, that being the last one before you go to Tennessee. Because when you go to Tennessee, you've got to have your five. Like You've got that you absolutely cannot play six offensive linemen at Tennessee, you know, without having an injury. I think that's the game 
where you've got to have everything clicking up front because that's going to be a hundred plus thousand crazy Tennessee fans that had not had a chance like this to beat us in damn near two decades. So that place is going to be, in my opinion, louder than, than Texas, louder than A&M, because they're so hungry to beat us. And if both teams come into that game undefeated, which I believe they will, that's just going to be a nightmare trying to communicate in, in that environment. So I think you definitely got to have your five settled. And, uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm going to agree with whoever they go with. If they decide to go with Cohen and Ikior, I'm good with that. If they want to slide Booker in for Cohen or Ikior, I'm okay with that too. I'm going to trust them, and that's because I have confidence in all three guys. So it's a good problem to have. My thing is you can't be shuffling um, and rotating guys out in Knoxville. But um, J-Law, we talked about spreading the offense out for weeks now ever since the Texas game, I just did the first half because in the second half, the game was well in hand. Saban's Bill O'Brien, they're not going to do anything crazy. First half, there's 37 snaps that Bryce Young was in on. The offense ran. There was so much spread in this game that I just counted the non-spread plays, and there was eight out of 37. So 78% of the time, and if in case you haven't been listening to us, the, what I call a spread formation is numbers to numbers. You, you don't have to have all of your receivers on the numbers. You just got to have one guy on one side of the field and one guy on the other. You're spreading out the defense as much as possible. You could have a tight end. You can have a six, six men down on the line of scrimmage. Um, you can have the tight end in the slot, whatever, whatever it is. As long as you have a receiver on one side of the field on the numbers and another receiver on the other side of the field on the numbers, I count that as a spread formation. And of the eight that we didn't go uh, go spread, you had a bunch set on third and ten where Jacory he threw the the one on one to Jacory, which is beautiful. I think if you've got a receiver that he's going to trust, and if it's if it's Jacory, let's roll with it. Um, and it looks like he he gained some trust with Bryce in this game. He threw a back shoulder to him, and then one was on the touchdown that uh, that Jacory got a foot down, I guess, in the back in the end zone. And then the other stuff was like short yardage, you know, your third and ones, fourth and two goal line stuff. So J Law, Paige's dad is sixty something years old. This guy doesn't have a clue about anything in depth regarding the sport of football does that make sense he's never coached it his kids played it in high school you know he'd go to the games all that stuff he 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 tells Paige after the game our offense looked completely different that's the best it's looked all year so a 60 something year old man that has you know I mean just the basic knowledge about as basic as it gets the basic knowledge of the sport of football can sit there on TV and watch this team and be like, okay, there was something different this game. Nick Saban said they wanted to spread it out. They did. Talk about what you saw differently in Bill O'Brien's scheme, you know, at least in the first half of this game against Vandy. Well, I mean, like you said, there's a lot less bunch sets, but I just thought that, you know, Bryce came out made the proper checks because I know Jordan Rogers said it on the, after the second drive, I think, and John Parker said it on the radio broadcast as well, is that 
Dude, Vandy's dropping, yeah, it makes it a little easy for Bryce, but they're also bringing six or seven every play because on tape, Bama can't, Bama's offensive line cannot contain a six on five. They, they'll never be able to swap the right guys. There's been so much confusion, even at home over the last, I mean, since last year, about what Alabama does. And they, they struggle in five on five situations. Heck, last week, go back and watch the ULM game, they struggled in some four on five situations. So Vandy was dropping five, bringing six, and the offensive line was picking it up. And I think just spreading the field made it a lot easier for Bryce to make the checks at the line. You know, you saw Dalcourt pointing a few times. The offensive line seemed to be in sync. And it's a lot easier to do when if Vandy's going to drop five, they're already dropped back. I mean, they're not around the line of scrimmage. They have to go line up over a receiver. So it made everything a lot easier for Bryce. And, um, you know, listen, Vandy's not the caliber of, of opponent that we're going to face over the next three weeks. They're not even close. But to just see the offense make those adjustments, see, actually see Saban fulfill a promise that he made to the fan base, and that, that's who I – maybe he was making it to his team. I felt like he was making it to me in his press conferences last week. So we need to spread the ball out more because that's what Bryce wants to do. And that's what Bryce – when Bryce is more comfortable – but also thought it opened up the run game. This is no slouch game on the ground for Alabama outside of a second and one from the three, and we end up kicking a field goal because we didn't – we got overpowered a few times. But, man, um, I, I really – I just thought that it was the, the simple adjustment, the adjustment that everybody else could see and just made it a lot easier for everybody on the offense, especially the receivers. Listen, if you got trouble getting open, run some quick stuff. I thought going to Ja'Cory Brooks made a lot of sense. Um, much like Cohen, you know, I know his mental health when Cohen went out and then he had to earn his job back, but you can't tell me just Ja'Cory Brooks isn't a, a, a bona fide first-teamer after saving the season last year. Listen, we're not in the playoff if we lose to Auburn. We're playing a, maybe a New Year's Six, might be on a New Year's Day Bowl, you know, in Tampa or something. So, guy saves the season, steps up big versus Cincinnati. Has an off-season off surgery or an injury, and now he's got to work his way back up the depth chart behind four freshmen that just came on campus. I thought that was BS. You want to talk about the most mentally fragile people on your team as wide receivers because they have to get the ball. So, you know, Brooks having to battle his way back. Dude, he's a bona fide five-star. Put him on the field. And add, adding to that real quick, a lot of people were saying, you know, Aaron Anderson's back this week. JoJo Earl's back. You think they're just going to slide in and just start? I mean, these guys are – checking into rehab, having off-season surgeries, bettering themselves, and they still lose their starting job. So Aaron Anderson, what's he proven? Well, he had a, a good run in the A-Day game. And then, um, you know, JoJo Earl played last year first, was the first freshman on the field, so what? So a lot of these people are thinking, we finally get some speed bet this week. Who the hell says they're going to play? But I also think it proved that, dude, we do not have a receiver speed problem. Kobe Princess is one of the fastest guys on the field every time he steps on the field. Can he sit down and zone the right way? Are receivers going to make the right reads on the covers that they see? And I think JoJo, I think if JoJo Earl can play, he'll probably be on the field because a week before the season, the guy's a first teamer. I think a, a guy in that spec can get in, but you know, I just thought the play call improved that we don't have a receiver problem either. Jermaine Burton's running wide open a lot. Yeah, sometimes they're going to cover you. You're not going to run wide open over a lot of guys when they're doing bailout 12 yards off the line of scrimmage when the ball snapped. So I, I thought overall the play calling benefited the whole team and especially Bryce. Yeah, Bryce in the first half out of the 37 snaps, he threw it 29 times 
completed 20 of them. That's 69%. Had three drops, too, I believe. So, I mean, this guy could have easily been damn near 80% throwing the ball. Um, over 315 yards, four touchdowns. But like you said, J-Law, running backs are no slouch either. They only had eight carries. Um, I think Jace had seven and Gibbs had one. They got 55 yards. That's seven yards carry. And uh, you'll take that all day. And, uh, yeah, we've said it. <laughs> it's just like it's beating a dead horse. And Gump Runners podcast, you know, we have said this for well over a year. You've got to throw to set up the run. When you've got a guy, a, a transitional quarterback, and a generational talent back there, it doesn't matter really who your receivers are. I mean, you've got to throw to set up the run. And um, and he finally did that. Lester, for Bill O'Brien, what more do you need to see? When you watch this game on film, what more do you need to see? Let me ask you this, Lester. Do you think this was a matchup thing that they went with against Vandy? Uh, hey, hey, they run a lot of this zone. We can attack it with this. Or do you think that Saban said, I don't care what they run. I want to throw the damn ball and I want to spread it out. Man, as elite, to answer your question with another question, as elite as this team is, why would we let another team even think about dictating what we run? Bingo. Make them stop you, right? Stop us. Like, I don't care if it's running the wing T or the triple option of the spread or whatever the NFL style of crap that BLB wants to run. We should never let another team, no matter who they have on the other side, dictate how we flow on offense or the plays that we call the plays we run. That should never be the case. They should be game planning for us and what we do and what we're great at. You know, spread it out, man. There's and you know, why has it taken it? Why has it taken four weeks for that to happen? That's what I want to know. That's what we've I all mean, been asking. Do you think Texas you think the game is close if we're spreading it out against Texas? I don't. Well, what I told y'all was if you take that game plan that we had, and I I really don't think it matters what you run because you're so spread out. I, I broke this down after the Texas game. It doesn't matter what you run defensively because if you try to throw an exotic blitz when you've got guys spread out numbers to numbers and that formation is 35, 40 yards wide, you can't disguise anything. No, nope. You might be able to disguise a coverage, sure, but the most you're ever going to be able to bring is six. And Alabama didn't go a lot of five wide in this game against Vandy. A lot of times they had lot to – if he didn't have his hand on the ground, he was right there, so he could chip a defensive end if he needed to. And then a lot of times before Gibbs gets into his route, he will sit off a play-action fake or something and help if he needs to. And if not, he'll release out. There's one where we did a play-action fake, and they brought four, and he realized quickly he didn't need to help, and he just ran a little angle route, and that's the play that he took down to about the 10-yard line or whatever and broke like seven tackles. So that wasn't a design play to him. That was just a play-action fake, and he released right there, and everybody else dropped into a cover four, and he just had a Mike linebacker right there that he was kind of one-on-one with because he was the only one in the middle of the field in, in coverage. And uh, so when you're that spread out, you you can't disguise blitzes. You can't come up with exotic type stuff. Sure, if you're on a hash, you can run a cat corner blitz off, off the short side. But thing is, quarterbacks have seen that so much that doesn't 
really phase them that much because that's where your protection is going anyway. You always blitz from the short side of the field, so you're never going to set your protection to the wide side. You're always going to set it short side. And Bryce knows that. Every quarterback knows that. And so it just makes it so much harder on a defense because, number one, you got to be able to run so much more. I mean, look at all the the grass you have to cover now. You have to be able to play solid man-to-man defense, and if you can't get a blitz to hit home and if you can't get to the quarterback with four, then you've got to be able to cover for, what, four, five, six seconds? Now, I know Vandy doesn't have a lot of elite pass rushers, and you're going to play teams in the coming weeks that do have elite pass rushers. You're going to you're gonna play one this week, as a matter of fact. Um, but I think if you take that game plan and you take that to Fayetteville and you take that to Knoxville and you take that to Austin a couple of weeks ago, I think all three of those games are 14 points or more in Bama's favor. And it's just baffling to me how Bill O'Brien cannot watch this and be like, oh, yeah, this this worked. And I and I know it was Vandy. And I told you all this is going to happen. I told you two weeks ago. I said, look, they're going to they're going to win this game. The next two games, 100 to 10. What was the What was the score? Is it 55 and 63? 55. 118, 118 to 10. I was damn close. And I said, don't get gassed up off of what Bill O'Brien does, whether he changes or not, because you still got to go on the road. We'll talk about getting that game in a second. J-Law, I want to move over to the defensive side of the ball. Um, not too many negatives. Of course, the corners are still brutal. Uh, talk about what, what you would do to fix them. Um, and just hope that they hear this, because this is just another game where one step drop, quarterback just lays it up. It's not a tough play. We're either going to hold a guy, we're going to pass interference, or they're going to catch it. Very rarely does that ball fall incomplete. And I think we got away with some pass interference calls in this game. I think both sides did. But, uh, you know, that's not going to be the case. It depends on the referee, the the ref crew. And, uh, and that's what you're banking on, because Alabama DBs, or Alabama corners, I should say, are still very bad against the fade route, bat shoulder, whatever you want to call it. And I don't know what you do. I mean, I, unless you just change scheme, like, I mean, are you just going to – What about backing up? Something, you, like, you don't, just you don't, don't have to play – you don't have to play 10 yards off. What about backing up three, four yards? Yeah, I mean – Would that help or hurt? I don't, I don't know. I never play that position, so I don't know. I don't think it would hurt, but we just know what Saban wants to do at corner. I mean, every time you see a video of practice, he's with the corners telling somebody they jammed somebody wrong or they shoved them wrong. I mean, their hips turned the wrong way. And they got, I mean, just so he wants to play with a physical corner because in theory, you jam a guy on the line, bump him off his route. You have more time for Turner, Braswell, Anderson, Boyd B. Young to get home. But if it ain't working and if you're not going to, if you're not going to get the contact off the line, and now you're running stride for stride, the tape shows you throw the back shoulder every time, every single time. They're going to keep running. We're going to turn around and catch it, or we're going to tackle you on a fade over the top, and you're going to have a pass interference. So I'm not really sure what you do about it. I mean, I don't know why we don't do it more, because everybody has to be having the same problems, right? I mean, everybody has to be dealing with it. They can't just be the games that we watch Alabama do it. So um, I'm not really sure how you fix the issue, and then unless you change scheme, maybe back off, play more zone. But we know Saban loves to play. He loves to play man. He loves physical corners. 
I mean, Arnold's got to get better. Clearly, I guess by now, everybody, he's better than Kyrie, he's better than Eli. He's going to be on the field. But I don't really think there's much of him. Not an excuse for Kool-Aid, but, man, you should be better than the way – at least what I've seen you be in, in, in man-to-man coverage. And it also it always feels like they're on an island, though. It always feels like they have no help. They have their, Every time you see one of those fade routes, the safety's 25 yards away. So I don't know how you help them. Uh, we don't know the calls. We don't know who's blitzing when they call, if anybody's out of, out of position. But they're not great. That's the weakest point of this defense because our safeties are really good. We still haven't given up a pass touchdown, by the way. So we're not trying to freak out and say these guys are bad. But We just uh, see a hole. Yeah, if you're playing a good opponent like K.J. Jefferson or um, Hendon Hooker or even – I mean, A&M still has athletes. I don't care anybody. I know they're bad on off. They, for some reason, they're bad on offense. But they're also going up against good coaches. I mean, Kendall Browles, heck of an offensive mind. We already know what Hypo likes to do. So they're going to attack those guys the same way Sark said, I'm about to attack these guys. And if what's-his-name doesn't get hurt, we probably lose that game. So I, I don't, don't really know how to fix it, but I'm, I'm – ex- I'm excited about this game on the road and scared because I know Kendall Browse is going to try to attack us. But, man, this defense is right now. I know, Chase, you talked about everybody's going to be kissing their ass. Yeah, I'm kissing their ass right now. They In the past, we give up points in both of these games. Vandy might score 14 on us. ULM sneaks up with 17. Texas, I mean, heck, we went on Kiffin on the road with no crowd in 2020, and the guy scores 40 on us. So, I mean, like, those, I mean, to even hold Sark to 19 at his place in front of 105,000 people, his defense is playing lights out. We'll give Pete his credit. And, um, you know, I think this is going to be a challenge, but it's also not playing at Texas. I mean, this, there's 75,000 people there. Eight of them will be Alabama fans. Not, not known to be a wild environment. And if you go back and look at where we went last year, I mean, we started at the Swamp. Went on the road to Auburn. We didn't – A&M's the loudest place in, to me in the SEC. So we didn't really have any, you know, gimme road games outside of Mississippi State, which is a loud environment just like Arkansas is. And um, played pretty well. So I'm, I'm hoping we have more of the Mississippi State uh, road tied than we've had the other three places. And you couldn't have had three other tougher road environments in the SEC. So, Yeah, I think that – 75,000 hungry fans can out yell. And I, and I get, you know, like you said last year, those places were hungry as well. You're always going to be hungry when you're playing the number one team in the country or Alabama uh, based off what they've done the last 15 years. Uh, so it doesn't matter if Alabama dropped a couple of games and they're ranked 10th or 12th. Um, everybody still wants a piece of Alabama. So I get that. Um, but and I think it's easier to kiss the defense's ass. Then I don't have a problem with that. I think I do think the the way to attack Alabama's defense, Sark, he gave you a blueprint. Uh, you know, max protect, get somebody on thirty one. I don't think anybody's really scared of Dallas Turner right now, and that's a little worrisome as far as a pass rush goes. I think he's playing the run well. I don't think he's getting to the quarterback at the rate that we thought he needed to do because everybody knew coming into the season that Will was going to have all the attention on him and we were like oh that's great because we have a mini will anderson on the other side i mean the guy came in as a true freshman last year after drew drew sanders gets hurt and he played so well and drew was really good for us too um he played so well that whenever drew got healthy 
he cannot get back on the field because of this true freshman. He damn near, <clears throat> excuse me, led the SEC in sacks as a true freshman. So we all expected more as far as pass rush from 15, and we haven't really gotten it to this point. So Sark gave you the blueprint. You, you, you dominate 31, don't let him beat you, and then you just double move corners all day or just flat run by him. And, uh, and, and that's something that somebody's going to – it's probably going to be Tennessee. I think they have a better chance to exploit it with Brew McCoy. And, you know, they got some, they got some receivers up there in that room that are really good. And uh, – but, <clears throat> no, I, I think this run defense is really solid. I think it's better than it's been probably since 2016. Um, and, yeah, I mean, we're solid. We're solid at the middle right it's like a baseball like a baseball team you want to be solid at the middle which we are and we're not weak on the outside i just think our technique is terrible the only way i would think of how to fix it is to just play more zone type defenses and make it to where your safeties play on their toes which means if they run a slant that's you you know you you don't have to play at 10, 12 yards off the ball. You can maybe cheat a little bit to eight or nine. Drop your corners to five or six yards off the ball. You've got everything deep, and you've got no help behind you. But it's a lot harder to get run by if you're, uh, if you're, you know, off the ball a little bit and not trying to run stride for stride with the guy. You leave one safety free in the middle, probably battle, and use Helms as kind of your, your, your slant guy and run more buzz, buzz looks right there. Um, but I don't I, I know, got- man. But, you know, no, we talked about this specific play because I brought it up in the group and on Saturday when it happened. Now, the one time where they did do that, they kind of played off a little bit. Remember the ball that was completed on Kool-Aid? It was it was like a slow developing play. He was playing off and the quarterback threw the ball and Kool-Aid is looking square at the, the receiver in his back. Like, if he's looking for the ball, that's a pick six all day. So, like, yeah. they're playing back if they do, but they're not looking for the ball. Yeah, you got to have your eyes in the backfield. And, you know, you're backpedaling on the snap anyway, right? So, just right, develop the right. NFL mentality on third and ten. Like, third and I ten mean, NFL, you never see guys get jammed. And when they replayed, I mean, Kool-Aid's looking dead in the back of this guy's head. I'm like, bro, look for the ball in that six, you know? So, yeah, you know, I think he's will see and change. Yeah, I think he actually broke that ball up, but still, because I remember that play. So we're, we're talking about all game, but like, dude, just, yeah, yeah. Off, just see what happens, man. Uh, that's what happened when he backed off a little bit. <laughs> yeah, yeah, he had a chance to make a play, but that's the only thing I can think of as far as a way to fix it. Um, I don't know if Golding's got that in his playbook. I'm sure he does, but, you know, we'll see. Um, let's – Move over to the Plains real quick before we come back to the Arkansas games. I'm going to break that down as well. But Auburn, man, there's a assload of problems over there. <laughs> I mean, 17-14, you went against Missouri. Wasn't your – I mean, it, it was Auburn voodoo. J-Lo, I thought this left whenever Auburn was up 28-3 to against Mississippi State. Bo breaks his leg. They come back. You know, they, they tried to recapture the voodoo in the Iron Bowl, but Alabama prevailed in four overtimes. I thought it was gone. I really did. But, man, you miss a 26-yard field goal at the end of regulation. And then in overtime, 
the guys, he, it, it ain't like he got contacted at the goal line and they knocked the ball loose. This guy drops the football. It takes a forward roll into the end zone, touchback, Auburn wins. I, I mean, what do, you, what do you have to say about that? It is the – you watch the game and there is like, man, if Harson loses this, he's getting fired like now. If he wins this, he's getting fired next week. So it's like, I don't know what to do, but I'm just sitting there thinking, like, how, how many ways can you lose a game? I mean, that has been the, like, that's been the epitome of Eli Drinkwitz's time in Missouri. It's like, how many ways can you lose a game? And, dude, you have the game. It's, it's over. You're down. They were down, what, 14 nothing. scored 14 in the second quarter. Then there is 40, like 40 minutes of scoreless football. And then you come out. I, if, you've, if you've watched college football, Eli Drinkwitz is a college football coach. You have first and goal at the four with a minute and 30 to play. If you've watched any college football and your kicker is not Daniel Carlson or Hot Rod Rodrigo or Will Reichard. Okay, make sure hell, you add him. I mean, how in the hell do you – First of all, in the first down play, lose five yards. So you back yourself up to the 10. I'm like, what are you doing? Just run a QB sneak three times. You might get in. There's no way in college that you rely on a college kicker. I mean, it, I just couldn't believe that they were doing that. I was like, man, you got a minute and a half. I know you don't want to fumble and turn it over, but I'm like, nah, man, this, the kicker is Lester's size. I mean, I mean, like this guy just looks like he's not a kicker. And, he, of course, he dicks it right. And then, you know, just fumbling the ball out of the back of the end zone. I mean, out through the end zone. I couldn't believe it. But Brian, this Brian Harson thing, this is terrible. It's probably the most poorly – if I thought Penn State was a poorly coached football game, that was about as bad as it gets. So, unless he's, he's clearly gone. It doesn't matter. If, if he wins this week, they're just going to wait till he loses to Georgia to fire him. So, Brian Harson will not be the coach after the Georgia game especially, I mean, what that's going to do. He might get fired in Athens. So, I, just bad, ugly. Um, Robbie Ashford sucks just like the other two guys do too. So, um, we'll just see how it goes. But Auburn could easily be sitting at two and two and then two and three after this week. Brian Harson gets spared by, by at least seven more days. So, Lester, what J-Law is saying there, if that's the case, and I think we all see the writing on the wall, why wait? Because the athletic director vacancy at Auburn has nothing to do with who's going to hire the next coach. They're not going to wait to hire an athletic director before they hire the next coach because the powers that be are going to hire him because they tried to, you know, get Kevin Steele to go behind Gus's bat. They tried to hire Kevin Steele last year and, um, and Alan Green put his foot down and he said, I'm going to go get my guy. This is my guy. And sure enough, his guy sucks. And so they, they boot Alan Green and Harson's soon to follow. So obviously the, the, they're not going to allow an athletic director to, to make a sole decision on hiring their next football coach. So why wait? I, I, don't, I don't understand why you're prolonging this. If, 
if you know he's gone, whether you're you're waiting until after the Georgia game, maybe after the LSU game or after the bye week, is it a case of next time he loses, he's out? Do you agree with with the, something like that? And, and if you're, I guess the president, whoever the interim athlete, whoever's going to do the firing, why are you waiting until he loses again if you don't see improvement from the team? Because that's that's the problem is you're seeing regression. And I understand T.J. Finley got hurt, but. He was a statue back there with this offensive line being this bad. And then, you know, your center just quit uh, b- before the season. He was like, I don't want to be a uh, part of this program. He he bails. So you got Tate Johnson as a backup. He goes down. He's out for the season now. So your third string center, you're just a shit show up front. And uh, so this is going to get worse before it gets better. Why wait? You know, all jokes aside, like, what good do they get with firing Carson earlier during this? Like, what good does it do? Well, who's going to take over? Uh, one of the guys. On, it's all about recruiting. One of the guys on Carson's staff. But recruiting. I mean, exactly. yeah, that's you're what you team. have, dude. You got to go hire somebody. But early no, signing exactly. day has changed it. You can all this early firing is all because of early signing day. Uh I mean, okay. All right, if they fire Harson, they're not going to hire the next coach in season. He's just not going to start immediately recruiting for them. I mean, I think that they're just kind of in the shitter. Like, well, doesn't the buyout also decrease after a certain time period or whatever? I don't think so. I think it's fifteen million regardless, right? Okay. Well, I mean, I don't know. Like, what does firing the guy? I I just don't see the point in making such a fuss about. You know, getting rid of Harson if he loses or when he loses. I mean, shit. I mean, it ain't my money. I'll put it yeah, to you now. This is this is sounds bad. Auburn is now competing with the likes of Arizona State and Georgia Tech for their next head coach. So, but like, if you're Auburn, if I'm you're so, you, I mean, if you're Auburn, if you're so good and so prestigious, you know, those coaches, you know, that, that are on your list should probably wait to see the decision that you make before looking at other jobs. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. But they know they're not. That's the point is that, like, the yeah. more teams that fire their coach right now, the more teams are going to fire their coach because there's about five – there's about, what, six guys that people really want right now. Yeah. Urban, Dion, um, Hugh Freeze. Uh, maybe guys making moves from other jobs to bigger jobs like Napier did last year. So as more teams get into sweepstakes, the pressure gets on to these other universities to to make the call. And that's why Harson's on a – he's on – I don't know if it's the next time he loses. He might be able to lose to Georgia. But it doesn't feel like he's going to win this week. And um, he definitely isn't going to beat Georgia. So – I just think that they're they're trying to get into the sweepstakes and start getting a guy in as quickly. And if you if Deion Sanders, dude, if he wants to leave, he can make a commitment to come to Auburn in the middle of his Jackson State season. It's not like going to be a big deal. Same with Hugh Freeze. I'll finish my year here. I'm going to be the Auburn head coach at the end of yeah. the year. Yeah, I think the people who are going to be making the hires, they're already talking to these coaches. Like They're already you know putting out feelers and all this kind of stuff. And also another thing, Cole Kubrick is full of shit. It's coming out of his ears. I heard him on the radio this morning, <laughs> and, and it, I, I just, I, I was just scratching my head. He was like, "Cause somebody talked about the same thing we were talking about." They said, "Like, is Auburn gonna have a hard time getting coaches to come there?" He was like, "Well, as prestigious as Auburn is, and 
the atmosphere and we can throw six or seven million dollars at somebody and yada 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 i'm like dude anybody with half a brain don't give a shit about money <laughs> like I mean, you can go make four or five somewhere and be happy and not worry about Bro. you know the driving a knife in your back I, that really off this morning like auburn is with the best job in football where else can you go work get overpaid and you're guaranteed they will fire you and pay you 15 million dollars to go home they're doing it to three coaches in a row i'm signing up for that every time they have a history of it they did it actually four they did it to tubby chiswick gus and now they're going to do it to harson dude there's going to be a long line of people to go to auburn heck if i win i'm going to get paid if i lose i'm going to get paid and I might not even have to finish out this seven-year contract. To me, it makes a lot of sense. Yeah, but on our side, but Cole wasn't making it seem that way from his perspective of things. Then he was like, um, Auburn's one bad at hire away from being – he said if Auburn messed up the next hire, they're in a really bad spot. And I'm like, buddy. What are they you, in now? Yeah, what is it now? Like, shit, I'd hate to see Auburn down bad if this is not considered bad. But, like – I don't know, like Deion Sanders, he ain't coming to Auburn. I wish people would give that up immediately. No chance. He would be a disaster. <laughs> Absolutely not. No, he's it's not happening. So, but yeah. I, well, I agree with Cole. If, if Auburn, if their next tire is as bad as Harson or worse with Texas and Oklahoma coming into the league, that you might be in a on a 15, 16 year run of like what Tennessee's been on. And it's going to come with – you're going to have to get a transcendent offensive head coach to come in and change things like he's done. I mean, if you make a bad hire on this one, you're already getting bumped down two spots in the conference when Texas and Oklahoma come in if you're not Alabama and Georgia. So, I mean, now Auburn's going to go from sixth to eighth or ninth, the best team in the league. J-Law, dude, are they not the toilet seat of the SEC, them, Vandy, and Missouri? Right now, yeah. yeah that's what I'm like talking this, about. This year, but historically, they are yeah. the okay. seventh best team in the league. So, you're guaranteed to drop to eight or nine. And if you make another bad hire, who else is jumping you? Kiffin's got a better – Kiffin's a better coach than what you have. I mean, you can start going down the list. Stoops is a better coach than what you have. Napier's a better coach than what you have. You start going down the list. Brian Kelly's a better coach than what you have. Jimbo Fisher's a better coach than what you have. Both the guys at Sark and Venables are better coach than what you have. Dude, you start really falling off. Plus, you have Texas, Oklahoma now being able to go to Atlanta and make pitches to these same kids that Auburn's made a living off recruiting for the last 35, 40 years. It could, this, they are on a real teetering point right now. And it's bad now, but I still think it could get worse. Yeah, uh, I think Auburn's best hope is to hire an offensive-minded coach that can go get portal guys immediately somebody like elaine kiffin that guys in the portal because the big names in the portal are not going to auburn they're they're not going to jameer gibbs would never go to auburn jameson williams henry t would never go to auburn ever they're getting guys from southeast missouri state they're getting vanderbilt safety and i know vanderbilt had a guy transfer to bama too but i mean obviously this guy's holding his own he's got one of the best pass blocking grades in the sec through four games, so he, he's obviously a stud. Uh, Donovan Kaufman at Auburn is not, and uh, so that's the difference in the type of portal guys that Auburn's getting right now. So the, your only chance is to go hire somebody like a Hugh Freeze or somebody that can tell a guy, "Hey, come in my offense, and I'll or come to my come and play in my offense, and I'll uh, 
I'll get you these numbers or whatever. Somebody like Kiffin that even though Ole Miss is not a big name school, they can still go out and get guys like Jackson Dart and Zach Evans because of the stats he's put up in the past. Keep talking about Kiffin and that they know that he's going to get them the ball and, and, and allow them to have success. That, that's their only chance. But JLo, real quick, we're moving to Alabama, Arkansas. If they do fire him, how does that work? Would they say they say, let's say Hugh Freeze, okay? Say, say they fire Harson Sunday after the LSU loss, or say they lose LSU, they fire Harson. Can they hire Hugh Freeze? And would, would that, is that how it would work? Would Hugh Freeze be like, yeah, I'm finishing the season with Liberty? Or would he just bail and just come to Auburn immediately and start working on recruiting? I guess it would. I mean, so. I don't. Yeah, I don't you know. have to pay Horson's buyout, but you also have to buy out the contract from Liberty that Hugh Freeze has. So, I mean, if you're Auburn, you're trying to pay Horson 15 million. I think Hugh Freeze actually signed like a pretty fat deal for what you would consider to be the head coach of Liberty. So, then, depending on when you buy him or when you get him, and when the contract's signed, you gotta you gotta pay that out as well. So, I don't I don't necessarily think he would leave in the middle of the year. I think Hugh Freeze is at least maybe a little bit better of a guy than that, but just depends on how much money they throw it. There's nothing to keep in you from being, I guess, hired in the middle of the year. Um, that's what makes it weird, but I do think everybody's trying to fire their coach to get ahead on the coaching search. I mean, dude, Jeff Collins, like what does Georgia Tech have going for him? And they fired their guy after week four. So, I mean, like that that's just the world we live in right now. So, I mean, I'm not, not, I'm not, I don't think any of these schools are going to have a head coach hired maybe by the end of the regular season, but – you need to have one the day after the regular season ends and be and have your ducks in a row because early signing day is the tw- like the nineteenth, twentieth. It's like the third week of December, so you got to you have to be ready. And uh, that's I think that's just the cause of a lot of this. Lester, Alabama versus Arkansas. Um, J Law says it won't be a tough environment. It'll be quiet. They won't be making any noise. They're doing their first ever red out. They're doing a stripe out, a white out. Now they're doing a red out. So another gimmick just for Alabama. You got Kendall Browse over there who's been cooking up schemes against Alabama for months. He came into Tuscaloosa last year, scored 35 points. I know there's no Traylon Burks, but you still got KJ Jefferson. You got the leading rusher in the SEC. Tell me your general feel about this game and how you think it could go. I think that the Arkansas run game will not be as effective. Agree. Um, my guy, Jaheim Otis, is a monster up front, and I think he is going to go and be a huge factor in this game come Saturday. Um, not saying that they won't have some big rushes. They may even rush for – a lot of yards, but what I'm telling you is that they will not have an efficient offensive game plan if they run the ball as often as they've done all year long. It just will not work with those guys that we have up front. So I think that, you know, make them one-dimensional because that's their bread and butter right now. Make them one-dimensional and, hey, go back and get the quarterback, man. Hopefully those DBs will have a better game. Maybe they'll get a pick or two, but, yeah. When it's time for them to pass the ball, go after the guy. Put some pressure on him and make him throw the ball up. You know, this I, – I don't think – I don't see Arkansas being as big as a threat to Bama 
simply because they rely so much on the run game, and Bama can neutralize that pretty well, I feel like. Jayla, you're uh you mentioned last week to us about Arkansas being, and I don't know if they still are or not, but dead last in um passing yards allowed. They've allowed more passing yards than any team in the country. And if it's not the case, if it's not still the case, they're they're close to the bottom. Um, but they will get after the quarterback. You know, Drew Sanders has multiple sacks. They they still got bumper pull there in the middle. They got really good linebackers. They can get to the quarterback, but if you can't get the ball off, yeah, their secondary will struggle. How do you think Alabama matches up offensively? And what are you thinking about the game plan that Bill O'Brien is going to run out there? Do you think it's going to be something that we saw against Vandy, or do you think this is going to be another prototypical Bill O'Brien road game where we're snapping the ball under five seconds. Bryce is trying to make last second checks with six seconds to go on the play clock. Um, you know, we're, we're tight and formation wise. We're not, we're not doing anything to help ourselves out. We're trying to play in a phone booth. How do you, how do you see this playing out as far as Alabama's offense versus Arkansas's defense? Yeah. Arkansas's past defense. I mean, if we don't come out and just try to throw the ball on these guys, I think you're crazy. Listen, they get to the quarterback, but, you know, a lot of that is there's a lot of dropbacks per game. I mean, when you're given when you're 126 in the country in pass defense, I think your de- your defense's chance of getting sacks is pretty good. Now, Arkansas has three of the top 10 sack guys in the in the SEC. Um, Dallas Turner's not even in the top 25, if that tells you kind of like we thought Dallas Turner was a dog. So they have three of the top 10 sack guys in the league, but Man, they, they get sacks because teams are throwing the ball against them a lot um, because they have success. So they're going to have their chances to sack Bryce. He, Bryce is probably – let's go ahead and tell you, Bryce is probably going to get sacked three times. And if you look at our sacks allowed numbers, remember doing – remember going into the playoff last year, maybe it was the SEC championship game, and Alabama was last in the league at tackles for loss allowed like by a big margin and last in the league at sacks given up mm-hmm. and last in the league at – yards negative plays as well so they were I mean just negative plays up and they had the most negative plays in the league all three of those numbers are greatly improved um for Alabama so looking forward to uh to seeing what Alabama is going to do this week I think the game plan is going to be pretty spread I think they're going to we're going to take our chances and I think we're going to throw the ball quick and we're going to force Arkansas secondary to tackle us in space Ladies and gentlemen, J-Law is a victim. I I tried, guys. I I tried my hardest to tell him and the rest of our listeners, don't get gassed up uh, during the Lamo game. Don't get gassed up during the Vandy game. These teams suck. But more than that, Bill O'Brien is at home in the comfort of the booth in Bryant-Denny Stadium the offensive coordinator box. 31 points against Florida last year in the swamp. 330 total yards. A&M, 31 offensive points, 370 total yards. Auburn, 24 points, four overtimes, 390 total. Texas this year, 20 points, 375 total. You average that up with regulation, it's 23 points a game. In four out of five road games, like I said, 
I don't count the Mississippi State game because that was right after the A&M lost. We could have played the Bills and beat them by two touchdowns. I mean, we were thumping anybody's ass on that day. Um, that's how it is after, after Alabama loses a game. So 23 points in regulation in four out of five road games for Bill O'Brien. 366 total yards. That would rank you this year in total offense, yards per game, that would rank you 100th on the button in the country. It's safe to say on the road, Alabama is a below average offensive team under Bill O'Brien. Told everybody not to get gassed up. Here we go. I appreciate the confidence. I do. I do. But a wise man once told me by the name of Lester Mitchell, show me. You got to show me. Prove to me that you can go on the road and light somebody's ass up offensively. I don't even care that Auburn's pass defense is bad. If it's so bad, exploit it. Let me see you spread out and throw for four hundo. Because last year, Bryce set a single-game passing record, did he not, against Arkansas? They for like 600 freaking yards, but he was at home. Show me you can go on the road, have this same game plan that you ran against, Vandy. Like Lester said, don't matter what the defense does. It doesn't matter. Make them adjust to you. You do you. Your identity, throw to set up the run. That's your identity with, with nine at quarterback. And, and show me, prove to me they can go on the road and shut somebody down and win by two touchdowns or more. I don't care if you cover the 17. As long as you win by 13 plus, as long as I'm not sweating my balls off at the end of the game, freaking out, wondering, you know, hey, one, one tip pass here and we're done. You know, if we don't get a fourth and one, we're done, or a last-second field goal, which, you know, Bama fans had PTSD for the last 15 years anyway. Lester, give me a score prediction. Your quick synopsis, how you think the game's going to go, give me a score prediction. Alabama, Arkansas. What's, do you know the number? Uh, 17 right now. I expect it to be around 19, 19 and a half by kickoff. Yeah. I I am going to go with 34. What, 34, that's what, three field goals? No. I'll go with 38, 17. 38, 20, 30. Yeah, 38, 38, 17. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Over. Man, I'll, I'll take, take that. I'll, I'll take that, I, I mean, and if they if they score like ten or thirteen points, it just won't surprise me. I'm tired of underrating this defense at this point. Um, this will be more of a show me game, but I mean, Pete's got them humming, man, and all, all Arkansas's offense is kind of playing into our hands. So, you know, yeah, I don't think they're going to have a very good offensive showing, and I think they take the crowd out of it early. Pete does look good. He's uh. He got does. the defense going right, but I just think that with Kendall Browse being at home where you can check as much as you want to, uh, you can take your time, you're not rushed, you can quiet the crowd if you need to, you just flap your arms, and everybody goes, shh, everybody just quiets. It's like you're playing in an empty stadium, man. You can't make enough noise as a, as a road fan um, to disrupt an offense. So you have complete control of the tempo of the game. When you got a spread offense like that, 
they've been running the ball like crazy. I, I think you're right. I, you're not going to run the ball on Alabama and, and be able to win the game like that. I, I don't believe that. I do believe they have some stuff that they're going to try to throw downfield on our corners and try to exploit those guys. Um, hopefully they will not have success. That'd be nice. I just cannot get behind Bill O'Brien until he shows me. Still think Bama wins, but once again, skin of their teeth, I'm going 34-27 Bama. And that's right at Bill O'Brien's average, or maybe actually a little bit above average for his points per game on the road. I'll give him 34. And who knows, we might have a punt return touchdown or a kick return or a block punt. Um, would love to have one of those. Defense got to get some turnovers. You know, put the ball on the ground. They're going to run it. Get them to put the ball on the ground and get some turnovers to help your guys out. Hopefully Bill O'Brien proves me wrong. I would love for him to because I'll be the first guy to come on here next week and praise him. I mean, you, you got a shot here. Show me. J-Law, what's your score prediction? 37. 24. So, I was going. Going to go 37-21, just go under. I'll go 37-24. Everything you, everything you said about Kendall Browse is check as much as he wants. They can get up to the line with 35 seconds left on the play clock, and they can look and dissect and and put guys in motion to see what our coverage is going to be. But, man, Traylon Burks, what, didn't he have, like, 220 receiving yards against us last year? Josh Joe fell down. They ran a fake field goal. We didn't cover the guy. I mean, like, I know it's at Bryant-Denny, but that that game, like, you look at that game, Bryant, that should have been a 45-21 to 21 Bama blowout at home, and we just continued to let – Cameron Latu fumbled on the three going in to the end zone. I mean, so I, I think that Alabama can come into this game. I didn't say it was going to be quiet. I didn't say Arkansas fans aren't going to be yelling. I'm just saying it's not the swamp. It's, it's not Texas. So – um, maybe we can make some adjustments there, but I, I like a 37-24 type of game, maybe a late field goal or late touchdown from Arkansas to make it a little closer. But, man, I, I just think about Bryce. If we do what we did this week, hit the open guy, somebody's going to be open. They have the worst pass defense, second-to-worst pass defense now because the only people behind them is Tennessee. They let Anthony Richardson throw for 400 on them. So, um, and just – do what Alabama does, and the difference between this year's team and last year's, this defense is much, much, much improved to me on all three levels. Even at corner, they're much better. So, and that's kind of a shot at Josh Jove and how much I didn't like him. But I think they're improved everywhere. Defensive line is as good as. So I think Arkansas is going to be able to score a little bit, but Alabama in this game I think is very dangerous. I think they can hit a rhythm, but carry it into the A and M game because we all want to beat Jimbo's ass. Can we Mr. agree? Rush. Yeah, go ahead. Uh, can we agree that if we don't have like 500 yards of offense, and if they don't score 35 offensive points, BLB's head needs to be on the stake. Sure. All right, deal. If you do it, if you I, 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 all right, look, an, another prediction. If you have the same game plan, game plan in favor that you did last week against Vandy, my score prediction is 41 27. Easily, yeah, easily, easily, you get another touchdown, and that doesn't seem like much, but that's a two touchdown win on the road against a top 15, top 20 team, dude. Give me that all day. 
And yeah, on paper, Alabama's three touchdowns better than these guys. But you, you factor in road environments, it's not easy to play on the road in the SEC. Um, so I, I don't, you know, I, I don't expect you to go out and win by three touchdowns or win by 17 or whatever. But you give me a two touchdown comfortable win on the road, psh, take that all day. Lester, real quick before you got to go to work, what is your bet of the week? Ooh, good point. Who's Georgia got this week? Missouri. I think they're minus 28. That was a good one. That was actually on my list. Take it. After uh, yeah. after all the media chirping about Kent State keeping it close and stuff, you know, you, you find out a lot about teams about how they respond to stuff, particularly like negative stuff. You know, how a team responds to, you know, after a loss, are they going to come out moping next week or are they going to come out and beat somebody's ass? But, you know, a lot of people are saying, you know, chirping about Georgia having Kent State keep it close with them. We'll see how they fare against Missouri next week, but I'm definitely going to take um, Georgia to cover that 28 for sure. Yeah, especially after Missouri's heartbreaking loss. Uh, yeah. At the hands of Brian Harson. he just used those big forearms just to squeeze the life out of them, bench press them into submission. But uh, I'm going, hey, last week, I, my bet of the week was Ar- or, uh, Vandy plus 40 and a half. And it worked, you know, my uh, reverse psychology worked. So, better the week, Arkansas plus 17 or plus whatever it ends up being. I think it's my guess would be around 19 by, by Saturday morning. Uh, so, lay the hogs and uh, hopefully I'm wrong again. I'd love it. J Law, what you got? Now, I'm going to go with a tough one here. This, this will tell you how much I like. Easy would have been to me what I think he wins that game by five touchdowns at least. But I'm gonna go, I'm gonna take Kentucky plus six and a half at Ole Miss. I think they're a little better than Ole Miss if they play their best game. Um, both these teams, four and oh man, a sneaky team. Man, Kentucky number seven going on the road to number 14. I think they can stay within it. All right, got it. I uh, got a special guest here tonight. He's had to evacuate from Pimpu. <laughs> Brought Mike Leakes at, at the crib. He showed up about halfway through the podcast. He says 28-21 tied. Uh, so he's uh, he's definitely going to take the under. Uh, I look for the over-under being around probably 62-63 in this game. So Brock's going to live under. but uh, And he says there's no chance that Kentucky loses – or that that can, Ole Miss doesn't cover against Kentucky. So. <laughs> Matchup FPI has them as a ninety three point one percent chance to win this game. Wow. I'd love to see what their what their rating is. I know we almost lost two games as an eighty seven percent favorite last year, but you got to be thinking that they're probably when they do ninety three percent chance to win. They're they're being going on that almost every. T- Let's hope they're right, and let's hope that Alabama can get close to that cover, Mark. That'd be nice. Bill O'Brien, I would say I have faith in you, but I don't. J-Law does. He's on your side. I hope to join him next week, but uh, we'll let you guys know. Until then, um, episode 71, Gunprinter's Podcast, Chase Thornton, Lester Mitchell, Jeremy Law. See you guys next week.